Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. It's been about two years since we began our study in the book of John. During that time, we took about a three-month detour as we faced early stages of COVID epidemic. Let me just share with you, John is one of the most powerful witnessing tools found in the Word of God. I feel that before we leave this study, it would be great for us to do a, a summary or recap of the important elements found in it. So we're going to be looking at numerous verses, so I pray that you'll follow along with me. First of all, let me just share about the author. We know that the book is named John or the Gospel of John. There's very little debate as to whether he is truly the author. This is the Apostle John, the brother of James, the sons of Zebedee. And uh, how do we know this, John, since he does not identify himself? Well, he somewhat identifies himself by claiming to be the, the disciple that Jesus loved. But yet he always uses the third person. So he's not actually identifying himself that way. But being the disciple that Jesus loved means that he had to be in that inner core of disciples. And that inner core was, Matthew, uh, was Peter, James, and John. And so we know that it's not Peter because this author talks directly about Peter without making any reference about it being himself. We also know that it's not James because James was actually beheaded or killed with a sword. And we find that over in Acts. And so James died at a very young age and would not have had the time to have written this gospel. So that basically leaves us with the term that it is John, who is the author of this book. So we look and let's just go ahead and assume that this is the author. Uh, we know that uh, it is the disciple of Jesus' love. We see him at the foot of the cross. And Jesus said, uh, Mary, behold your son. And John, behold your mother. So we see that he is that beloved disciple of Jesus. As far as dates, uh, there's some discrepancies as to what the date is. John is definitely the youngest of the disciples, and he's also the one who lived the longest. According to historical tradition, all the other disciples died a martyr's death, uh, different ages, but John did not die a martyr's death. We do know that he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, uh, where he wrote uh, the book of Revelation. And it was much later in his life that he wrote the, the book of John, as well as 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, those epistles. Uh, most scholars place the dating of the book of John somewhere between 85 and 90 AD. This would have been about 15 to 20 years after Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed. So the question is, why did John write this gospel? Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already written synoptic gospels. They pretty much fell in line with each other. They covered very much the same details. Uh, they were more chronological in order. They began with the birth of Christ and led up to the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ and all the things in between. But John writes his gospel much later than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, probably dozens of years later. And by the time that John writes this, we find out that the church is dealing with False teachings. One of the greatest false teachings was the deity of Christ. Was Jesus truly the Son of God? And the false teachings that were going around were that 
Jesus was just a man that the Holy Spirit came upon at his time of baptism and then left at his time of crucifixion, that he was just simply a man, that he was a good teacher, that he did reckless things in the power of God, but he was not God. So John is basically debunking this false teaching, and he does that throughout his word by declaring that Jesus is God, that he is deity. There is no doubt about it. And that is the main purpose for John writing this gospel. Unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, most of what John, about 90% of what John writes is not found in those synoptic gospels. He writes primarily focusing on scriptures, things that Jesus did, things that Jesus said that prove that he is deity. He is God. We're going to see that through the I am statements. The I am statements are basically saying, I am God. I am equal to God. So much of what John writes, uh, we see as critical for today. Why? Because many in today's society do not believe that Jesus is God, that he is the son of God. They believe that he was at best, maybe just a good man who who uh, taught good teachings, moral teachings, and maybe he did some really neat things, uh, maybe even miracles, but they do not see him as God. They, they struggle to believe that, that God could actually be in the flesh, walking on the face of this earth. But for us as believers, this fact helps us to believe that Jesus truly understood all that we face, and that he understands our pain, our suffering, our joy, and everything. So we have a Savior who we can relate to. We could spend weeks recounting the powerful statements found in this book, uh, but basically I'm going to just take a handful of the most critical ones and share those with you. Let's begin with John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So the very first thing that John says is that Jesus is God. He was already in the beginning, which means that he has always existed. The beginning is what we find in, in Genesis where uh, the night and the day are separated, and we have the first day, and we find out that God basically began time there in Genesis. But God has always existed. Jesus has always existed. He was already there in the beginning. And John uh, uses the term word to identify Jesus, the word. And we say, well, what's the word? Well, if you go back to Genesis again, God spoke into creation. The word is the spoken word of God that calls creation to be, because that's exactly what he says in verse two. He was in the beginning with God and all things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So without the word, without Jesus, nothing could ever exist. He is the word spoken in creation. But also notice he says very plainly, very boldly, the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is God. There is no doubt about it in John's mind. And that is why he is writing this gospel to give proof that Jesus is deity, that he is God. So we look and we see that Jesus was with God. That leads us to the Trinity, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. 
our little finite minds cannot fully comprehend what that truly means, but that there's one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. But Jesus was with God and he was God. Now let's look on down to John chapter 1, verse 14. And it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That verse tells us that the Word, Jesus, became flesh. He has always existed, but in God's perfect timing, when it was right, he sent his Son into the world that he created. Jesus stepped out of heaven and took on flesh and became man. One of the things that we struggle to understand is he was fully God and yet fully man. He experienced all the things that we experience, yet he was full of the Father's grace and truth. He was the only begotten of the Father, of the same existence of God. Let's go down just a little bit further in John chapter 1, verse 29. It says, the next day, this is talking about John the Baptist. The next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the purpose for why Jesus came. He did not come just to give good, good moral teachings. He did not come to do unique miracles or signs, as John calls them. He came to take away the sin of the world. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, God instructed his people that in order to deal with the penalty of sin, they had to offer an offering of atonement. That was a blood sacrifice. That's when they, they gave the, the unblemished lamb and it was slaughtered and they took that blood and that was the offering for their sins. So there had to be blood shed for the remission, for the atonement of their sins. They knew from God's promises that there would be one who would come to pay the ultimate blood sacrifice. And Jesus is that ultimate sacrifice. He came to save man from his sins. We see that so clearly in John chapter 3, verse 13. Obviously, the most famous verse in the entire Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Without doubt, God shares his love his love is unconditional. His love looks beyond sin. Even though we are sinners, God sent his son Jesus to die in our place. And John 3.16 tells us that it is God's love that caused him to send Jesus into this world. And that for us, for we who believe on him, we will not perish. We will not die because of our sins. We will die physically, but we will not die spiritually but we will have eternal life. That's such a blessing that we find in the book of John. Then we go on to John chapter 10, verse 10. We see a contrast between Satan and Jesus. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and they might have it more abundantly. So we see the comparison here that, that Satan will do anything and everything to keep mankind from coming to salvation. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. He wants to take us out of the hands of God. He wants to take us away from, from that gift of salvation, and eternal life. But Jesus came that we might have life, not just physical life, because we all have that, but life eternal. And also to have it more abundantly, even here on earth. 
See, we once we know that we have eternal life, then our there, our eternity is secure. We have no worries about death anymore. That way we can have a more abundant life here on earth. Then we move on to John chapter 13, verse 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Jesus is now showing what the true mark of follower Christ is, what the true mark of one of his disciples is. We must love one another. Now, that love is not just a hug on the, you know, or a kiss or anything like that. It's not an emotional love. It's not just brotherly love. It is agape love. That's the love that God loved us with. That's the love that Jesus loved us with. And that's the love we're to have for one another. See, when we love others with agape love, unconditional love, that is a love of choice. We choose to love, not because we feel like it, not because somebody's done something to make us love them, but we choose to love regardless of what the person has ever said, what the person has done to us, who they are, what their walk in life is. We are to love one another. And that's not just our brothers and sisters in Christ. That is the world around us. So in order to be a true disciple of Christ, we must love one another. Then we look at seven great I am statements. Again, the word, the, the phrase I am in the Greek is ego, I, me. It basically means I am God. And that's what Jesus was saying. He is saying that he is equal with God. He is God. That's why the the religious leaders were so adamant that Jesus was blaspheming. How could a man claim to be God? And so here again, John is proving once again, seven different times that Jesus himself is claiming to be God. The first one we see is in John chapter six, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life and he who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. He said this after feeding the 5,000 people. And he also shared that in the past, in the Old Testament, God had provided manna in the wilderness, yet they all died. But what Jesus is giving is a gift of living bread. Those who partake of the living bread, those who partake of Jesus will never die. They will never hunger. And he also says, and they will never thirst. We as children of God should always have a hunger and a thirst for the Lord, for the righteousness of Christ. We should always have a hunger and a thirst for his word. The more we thirst and hunger for him, the more we will walk with him. Then we move to John chapter eight, verse 12. Then Jesus again spake to them and saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is where there's a contrast between light and darkness. Darkness always represents Satan and the unbelief of mankind. Light represents our Lord and our spiritual sight that he gives us. Jesus made the statement and then immediately healed a man of his blindness. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light, bringing light to overcome the chaos of the darkness. Jesus is our light that shows us the path to follow that leads to salvation and eternal life. Then in John chapter 10, verse nine, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastures. This door is basically described as the sheepfold. 
This is the way that the sheep would enter or exit out of the sheepfold. Uh, at night, the shepherd would lead them in and he would become the door. He would be the one that would block the entrance or the exit for the sheep. He'd be protecting the sheep. And when the time was right, he would then allow them to come back out. But he is the door. He is the one who provides salvation. He, he is our safety. He is the one who saves us from our sins. And then we look and we see in John chapter 10, verse 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, we sometimes struggle with understanding that a shepherd would actually die for his sheep. But in the Old Testament, in the times when uh, this book was written, shepherds would risk their lives each and every day to, to fight off the prey that would so want to, to have their sheep for a meal. And we see back in Psalm chapter 23, the Lord is my shepherd. So Jesus is taking the Old Testament promise of God and he is fulfilling it. Jesus, not only the good shepherd who tends to the sheep, providing them with food and water and taking care of their wounds. He is also the good shepherd who willingly lays down his life for his sheep. And he proved that on the cross of Calvary. Then in John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And he says this to Mary. When Mary was weeping because her brother Lazarus was dead and Jesus came, what she thought was too late. She said, Lord, if he'd only been here earlier, he would not be dead. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you will not die. And so we look and we see that Jesus said this immediately before he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Jesus gave Lazarus a resurrection of a physical body. And we know that Lazarus died again. But what Jesus is saying here is that he who believes in me will live even if he dies. You and I will all die physically. But if we have that belief in Jesus as Savior and Lord, then we will not die eternally. We will live forever with him. So we look and we see that God is providing the way. He is the way. He is God. Then John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. There are so many that claim that there are many ways to get to God, to get to heaven, that you can believe in just about anything as long as you believe with all your heart. But that's not what the Bible says. John is using Jesus's own words and he is saying, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So Jesus is the only way to salvation. He's the only way to get to heaven. We cannot just live good lives and hope and pray that God will say, well, you're good enough to come into my heaven. We have to place our faith and our trust in Jesus. We have to surrender to him as Lord so that he can be the one who guides us to the place of eternal rest, heaven. So we look and we see that the truth is that Jesus is our source. He is our life. He is the way. Then we look at John chapter 15, verse one, as well as verse five, they're both connected. First one says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. 
Then verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, Jesus is the true vine that God has planted for us to bear fruit from. As we place our faith in him, he becomes branches. we become branches sprouting out from him, the vine. He is the source of life that flows through us that produces fruit. This fruit is the result of lives being lived by faith that show the love of Christ to his brethren as well as to the lost world around us. If we do not feed off of the life-giving force of Jesus, we will be unable to produce anything of spiritual value. We'll become completely useless without Jesus. So we must vision ourselves as being a part of Jesus that we are engrafted into him. He is the source of life and that that life flowing through us is to go out towards others so that they too can come to salvation. That takes care of the I am statements. Then let's go to John chapter 19, verse 30. Jesus's final words on the cross. John chapter 19, verse 30 says, Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is is finished and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit that was when jesus had fully accomplished his mission on earth he came he came to save mankind from his sins that through him the lamb of god that the sins of the world would be taken care of and he did that by dying on the cross in our place for our sins and when he knew that the sins of the world had been placed on him and that he was dying for them, he said, it is finished. Now, the only thing left was that uh, he was resurrected, proving that God had accepted his sacrifice, his atoning grace through his death so that we could be saved from our sins. We look and we see he had fully completed his mission. Well, John wrote to prove that the deity of Jesus, he is God. He is the word that brought creation into being. He is everything we need to receive forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. He is our source, the vine through whom we receive the power and the ability to live for him, to love one another, and to share his love with others. Next week, we're going to conclude by studying our study in this powerful book, by looking at how we are going to apply this book to our lives. There's gonna be some challenging questions. I pray that you'll be here uh, to, to hear those questions and to answer those in your own heart. But as we continue to look at the book of John, if there's anybody that ever asks, where should I start reading if I wanted to start reading the, the Bible? Point them to the book of John. Why? Because it points out that Jesus is God and that he did everything that he was supposed to, to fulfill his mission on earth. He came to die for the sins of the world, and he said, it is finished. I have completed my mission. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we're so thankful for what Jesus has done, that he is God, that he is our source of life, that he is everything that we need, salvation, eternal life, everything comes through him. Help us, Lord, to worship him and to, 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 to follow him and to be obedient to his words. 
Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit that lives in us will guide us to live in obedience. That if we want to be his disciples, that we will love one another, not only brothers and sisters in Christ, but the world around us. Help us to be filled with that love so that we can impact the world around us and make a difference for Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.